0: I'm and I'm Julie Craftchek. This
1: is the Dateable Podcast
0: where we dive into everything about modern dating and relationships.
1: Welcome to the show. Happy Valentine's Day, happy Palentine's Day, Galentine's Day, Valentine's Day, Bro- Brolentine's Day, <laughs> Dog Doglentine's Day, Petlentine's Day. <laughs>
0: and happy season 16. And happy season
1: 16, most importantly, to our dateable family. Yay, we're back, we're back. officially for season 16. It's not like we ever went away. No. <laughs> but we are officially back for this official season. And every season, we're going to say the same thing. So if you know what we're going to say, just repeat along with us. I can't believe it's been 16 seasons.
0: <laughs> I was like, what is she going to say? Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> That's normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny, though, is we had this whole episode about, you know, Valentine's Day prep, right? To get yeah. us to today, whether you're single as fuck, in a relationship for years, it doesn't matter like how do you embrace or ignore this holiday whatever you choose whatever and we spent choose. like I feel like 10 minutes debating what the male version of Galentine's Day was and then yep. I saw this article that was yes Valentine's Day and I'm like why did that one come to our minds it's the obvious I
1: don't know it just doesn't sa- it doesn't roll off the tongue no. you know Valentine's I like Brolentine's Day so
0: I do too I like texted UA and I'm like oh we missed one. <laughs> <There> we <laughs> Ha <laughs> Ours were better.
1: <laughs> but I think it's better to celebrate season 16 of Valentine's Day any day. So yay. Yeah, we're taking back the holiday. We're calling this official dateable day. Happy official dateable day. <laughs> I
0: love it. I love As we it. launch season 16.
1: <laughs> and so suitable for our season openers that we're talking about how to be single and happy. And this also applies to anybody who may be in a relationship too or starting to date. Because end of the day, we always say this, who do you have for a lifetime? It's just you. It's yeah. just just you. You can only count on yourself to be there for your lifetime. So being single is a part of that, whether you are officially in a relationship or not doesn't matter
0: i wish we just like didn't have these labels at all like it Ah, kind of reminds me of the episode we did last season with drew on the comparison game and how Mm -hmm. i remember you ua said like single is our default and that's why we're always trying to get out of it why isn't there single and happy why isn't there single and not focused on dating you know like there's so many variations and i do love this i mean this is something we talk about on dateable all the time is being dateable doesn't stop when you're in a relationship relationship, you should always date your partner. And I also think being single shouldn't stop when you're in a relationship. Mm-mm. Like the way the term is defined, it does. But I hate this term in itself because it really is just being with yourself and yes. enjoying your own company. And it's like the episode we did with John Kim a few seasons back, like single on purpose. It shouldn't stop like getting to know yourself. It shouldn't stop.
1: No. And I hate this concept of a plus one because it oh, means yeah. if- You go by yourself. You're zero. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Can we just be our own plus one and whoever we bring can be a plus two or a plus three? I feel like everything in society points to that. If you're single, you're missing something. Mm -hmm. You are incomplete, but you are complete. You are the again, the only person you can count on for your lifetime. And that's enough. And anybody you add to your life is just additive at that point
0: it's stupid rom-coms, right? Like Jerry Maguire, like you complete (laughs) complete me, like I will always remember that. But you're right. It's just what's ingrained in society. It's like there's something wrong if you're single. And the truth is in today's world where we're living to like 100 years old, there's going to be periods where we're single in a partnership like that is going to zigzag. It's not just like once you're in a relationship, that's forever. Even if Mm -hmm. things go according to plan.
1: Uh, Nothing is forever. Everything you can only look at your relationships in retrospect when you're on your deathbed and say, oh, was that a successful relationship? But in the moment, this is all a state of being, right? And we have to embrace where we are. And it just, we are where we are on purpose. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. And if you are single today, congratulations. If you're not single today, congratulations. You all deserve a medal (laughs) for celebrating being alive today.
0: On dateable day, yes. (laughs) On dateable day, (laughs) You know, it's the, so I actually saw this article come up last week so it's fairly new. was on psychology today i'll mm-hmm. give um the credit to the author bella de phd beautiful name about yeah well, it is who does best of being single and it definitely caught my attention mm. and she talked about you know People have very different experiences with the word single. Like even I remember like when we were doing this episode, you were thinking, you know, happy and single it's it's an oxymoron in a way. But I don't know. I feel like I didn't think about it that way and I know like other people have different perceptions of being single and happy and like what that actually means so she actually like looked at data of like who thrives at being single and who doesn't which I found interesting like I'm not going to relay the entire article people can search for it we can actually link it to just for a resource but she was saying these are a couple of things like who thrives when single it's people that embrace values like freedom creativity and trying new things people that have good social support and quality friendships and also another one I thought was interesting was getting older that some research suggests that after about the age of 40 single people are happier and happier so I think that makes a lot of sense but she also said like who has a harder time with being single is people who buy into ideologies that and insist that being married or coupled is normal natural and superior way to be Mm. people that believe in traditional norms about gender and parenting people who are afraid of being single people who don't have as much social support And then people who are pressured by family, that's Mm, a big one. Of course, yeah. And then people who experience even more than the usual dose of singleism, basically like the stereotyping and stigmatizing and marginalization of single people. So again, Mm. that probably plays into the pressure like there's something wrong with you if you're single. So I do think it's an interesting article because it's so much of it's just your life and upbringing outside of your relationship status in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's what you choose to subscribe to. And unfortunately what we subscribe to have been has been embedded in us for years and years and years so it's harder to press the unsubscribe button from that but also know that it's not the end of the world if you're single i think that's like step number one it's not the end of the world it's actually opening of a new world and i sometimes think about this like if i were to be single now at age 42 what would i do And it's easier said than done, Julie, I know this. And for all all of our listeners, we're like, well, yeah, you're in a relationship, so it's easier for you to say that. But I think if I were to be single now, I would stay single for a while. I would stay Mm. single and really explore this new decade in my life. And you all know my girl crush, Maylee. (laughs) renowned journalist who was on our show she was single for most of her 40s and she is now in a very happy long-term relationship now at you know 50s but in her 40s she she explored her time so I think there is no fear around being single for me because I think it is a time to explore
0: who you are I love her story, too, because like a lot of her 20s and 30s, she was in relationships. Yes. Many yes. that she thought were going to be the person she married. And then it really shows that I think a lot of times we think that if you're single, like that's your forever status. Right. But things really do ebb and flow. Like the fact that she was <sighs> the single person in her 40s, but then she met someone in her 50s. Like it's not forever. And a lot of times think... we believe it is. So yeah. I agree, like if I were to be single, it's like, how do you focus on the stuff that that we were just talking about of like what makes people thrive and I actually believe like before I met my partner I truly was in a place that I was okay being single Mm -hmm. and I think a big part of it was I was really trying to like let go of like the societal pressure I feel like I've been very fortunate that my parents have not provided pressure for Uh, me I know and I think that (laughs) plays in though I think that's how you and I see things a little different I do think that is an aspect of it I think for me growing up relationships were not at the forefront. Like, I put a lot more emphasis into friendships and, like, building my life. So, of course, like... I agree with what was in that article of like, if you have no social support network, why wouldn't you want a partnership? Like, that's kind of like the solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. But if you can look at like, how do you find love in all sorts of ways? Like, I think that does really like make your life more balanced that you don't need that other person. Of course, that being said, like, I do like being in a relationship. Also, I'm not saying that just because yeah. you can like love your life single doesn't mean that you can also thrive in a relationship. Again, it just changes. Like, life is dynamic. It's constantly evolving.
1: And we posted a clip about um, both of us finding our partners at age 37. Forever uh,
0: 37. Forever 37.
1: <laughs> our we need to open that to shop. shop <laughs> and so many people wrote in and said they also found their partners at age 37. Yeah. And it made me start to think about what is it about your late 30s that opens you up for a long-term relationship is that probably you were single for a while. You
0: know, your Yes, and yes and then
1: you're like you know what i am happy where i am i'm happy with who i am and if someone comes along great if not great and i think that's like the magical time period of late 30s.
0: I just think of back to myself like in my 20s and how I was approaching dating. It was coming from just such a place of desperation of like mm, needing to be liked. Yeah. I mean, I really was like reflecting back on like, why did I want a partner? And a lot of it was just to fit in. Like because yes. all my friends were doing it. and I didn't want yes. to be left behind. But that's like not the reason to want a partner at all. It's coming from a place like I'm not good enough And I'm measuring up to other people because they're in, quote unquote, they've like unlocked one of life's milestones and I haven't. Like it all Mm. plays back to this feeling of inadequacy. And I think coming to dating in that form, it makes you settle for bad situations. It makes you, you know, like appear that you're just needing someone opposed to wanting someone. Like there's so much of the dynamic that comes off on dates, I believe. And I definitely did that looking back.
1: Yeah. And there's also this expectation that if you're single, you're going on endless dates, too. I remember just being in my 20s in New York, and my coupled off friends would be like, how many dates have you been on recently? When's your next date? Like, uh, your full time job is to date when you're single.
0: (laughs) Right, to get out of it. Yeah. to
1: get out of it. Right. And that's that's such an unhealthy way to look at it. Imagine if you are in a relationship and someone's like, okay, when are you going to be single again? You yeah. like, like, are you trying your best to be single right now?
0: How are many- you settling for your like, <laughs> husband or wife?
1: How many days have you spent on your own since you've been in a relationship? You really should be single. You know, it's the same. It's the same fucking thing. So it's whoever we surround ourselves with. And sometimes maybe we just need to call out our friends like, hey, you know what? I'm very happy not going on dates recently. So you can cool it with that. But I'm very happy dating myself.
0: Or the expectation is you have like nothing going on. Like you're not doing anything. Like you're sitting on your couch with your cats. Like that's the other side of the spectrum. That you just can't, you know, in this article too, she was saying how people assume that someone that's been single just like like it's their default because they've tried and they've failed, Mm. not because there's other reasons that have led them to this life. And like we've talked about this on dateable too. We have a lot of listeners that have not been in serious relationships, and it comes with shame and stigma, like something's wrong. But if Mm. you look back on your life, chances are you were doing other things, you were building your career, you were building your friendships, you were moving to new cities. It's not like you were sitting on your couch, unable to do like relationships, you've just given up completely. Like a lot of times, that's not the case. I'd say more times than not.
1: (laughs) It certainly is not. So if you're getting revved up by this conversation, (laughs) like we are, it's a good thing you are passionate about this. And whatever your status may be, this is such a great episode for you to listen to. And in addition to this, we are relaunching our Finding Your Person yes. program. And it's funny, it's a kind of ironic to say, oh, we're talking about being single and now we're launching this, source <laughs> about, this course about finding your person. The entire program is actually about dating yourself, which yeah. opens you up for someone to be additive to your life. So it's all in line with our conversation right now. Registration is open. You only have this week to sign up. It does sell out pretty fast. So sign up while you can this week. Registration will close on the 19th at midnight PST but I can guarantee you you want to sign up beforehand because we've pretty much sold out every other time we've relaunched the course. The course is a <laughs> comprehensive self-guided program that will explore different sides of you, help you unlearn the things that you shouldn't have in your vocabulary (laughs) anymore, and also how to change your perspective to open yourself up for that person who's just right around the corner for you. If you want to register, just go to findingyourperson.com.
0: Yeah, it's very in line with this episode, even though it doesn't sound like it's in line. At the end of the day, it's about being happy. That's really what it's about whether you're single, partnered up, in a triad, it doesn't matter, you know? Just be happy. <laughs> okay, well, outside of finding your person at Dateable Podcast, that is our Instagram handle. That's where you can send us DMs. It's probably the best place to connect with us and also you get to see video recordings, which brings a whole new dynamic to this podcast. So, a lot of great stuff on Instagram. Love in the Time of Corona, eventually we need to change this Facebook name. I feel like we're like nah. still not fully out of it, but I nah. think maybe we, it's time soon. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll keep you all posted. But for now, you can go to Love in the Time of Corona. There actually is going to be a public happy hour tomorrow night on the 15th. So if you're listening mm-hmm. to this live, so if you want to meet new friends, talk about dating, talk about what's challenging, what's great about being single, or if you're in a relationship, this is really an open space. Like we said, we don't like the labels. We think everyone can learn from each other no matter what where they are in their lives. So join Love in the Time of Corona. If you're free, pop into the happy hour. You'll be able to meet our wonderful moderators and Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Okay. Well, before we get into it, let's hear a message from our sponsors.
1: This episode is sponsored by Honey Love. For anyone who wears bras, you know that feeling of getting home from a long day and immediately taking off your bra. Well, with Honey Love, you'll never experience that again. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game, so you no longer have to deal with uncomfortable underwire without sacrificing support. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. Their bras are so comfortable, you could live in them or sleep in them. I am so in love with their bestseller crossover bra because it gives all the support of a traditional bra without using any underwires. Plus, mesh detailing adds a touch of sexy, unlike my previous go-to bra, which was the farthest thing from sexy. And if you're tired of bras that cause bulging in the back, Honey Love's bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent bra bulge. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at HoneyLove.com with the code DATEABLE. Again, use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 20% off at HoneyLove.com. Cinched, snatched, and lifted. It's hot girl season thanks to Honey Love. This episode is brought to you by the One Love Foundation. The numbers of people affected by relationship abuse are startling. Abusive relationships rarely start with physical abuse. Instead, there are often red flags like manipulation, isolation, belittling, and volatility. Do you know the signs? One Love Foundation, a national nonprofit dedicated to ending relationship abuse, empowers you to see the signs of an unhealthy relationship before things go too far. Visit joinonelove.org and learn to spot the signs of unhealthy and healthy relationship behaviors.
0: Okay, let's hear about how to be single and happy. We'll get
1: right into it, Jenny. People don't always put single and happy in one sentence, and you happen to do exactly (laughs) that in your book. (laughs) So welcome to our show, Jenny, who is Dr. Jenny Tate. She's 40 years old, lives in Los Angeles, lived in New York also for 15 years, and she is married. She's a board-certified expert in cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy, and she's the author of How to Be Single and Happy. Welcome, Jenny. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much, UA and Julie. I'm so excited to talk to you both.
0: Yeah, we are too. We do hear all the time. It's interesting. The reason why you put out this book, How to Be Single and Happy, it really strikes a chord. But it's almost sad that it has to strike a chord, right? Like that that has to be kind of a far out thought. Why do you think that's the case? And what inspired you to write this book?
2: So I started writing this book for several reasons. I was seeing a lot of clients at the time. This was I wrote this book right around the time that dating started to become a popular trend. I started hearing the same thing over and over again from patients that came to my office. This is the first time I'm in therapy. Things are going well in my life. Most of my life feels good. I have a good friend group. I have decent family. But dating has really made me feel terrible about myself, affected my self-worth. It feels like the one to do that is tough to tackle in my life. And so I started to really think, like a lot of my clients are really savvy, really skeptical. I was really curious, like, can you be single and happy? And if so, how how do you do that better? And what did the experts say about that? While this was something that I heard my clients talk about, I also really got this myself. Shortly before writing the book, I was going on a lot of dates, and I also sort of empathize with their experience. Like, I feel like I'm a good person that's well liked and has a decent sense of reading people's sense of me. And I was really baffled by like, either I'm meeting people I absolutely don't feel like we have any mm-hmm. <laughs> anything to talk about, or I meet someone that I actually feel like we might connect, and then I'm mystified that I don't hear from them again. And so I really got this, and marriage was certainly something that I really wanted and something that I felt really triggered me to. Start Start ruminating. I really felt like dating was the thing that would push my button to start overthinking. And there's something about being driven and goal directed and not knowing when something's going to happen that can lead someone who is ambitious to really get into overdrive of problem solving mode. And so this was something I was hearing tons and tons in my workplace and something I also really personally resonated with. My parents got divorced when I was young and I had this sense that it was really hard to have a good relationship and worried about the mm-hmm. prospect of finding someone that felt like like a partner rather than settling. You just expressed pretty
1: much every thought every single person has ever had. It's like this rumination, this kind of like why, and also just if you have other areas of your life figured out, why do you feel like this is one area that you haven't figured out? It's weird that we think about being single as something we need to figure out, like it's a problem. We need to resolve this issue. I'm so glad you shared your experience, but I'm also curious from Julie's experience, we talk about relationships quite a lot on this podcast, but we haven't really gotten into our single lives yet. times we were single. So, Julie, I'm curious to know, like, when was the last time you were single and ruminating on the fact that you were single? I'd (laughs) be...
0: I feel like I definitely went through that phase. (laughs) Everything you're saying, I can relate to 100%. I would say when I was in my late 20s to early 30s is when I did like a lot of serial dating. And I remember just being like, why can't anything last past a third date? There must be something wrong with me. That's what my mind went to. And honestly, that was a catalyst of me wanting to do this podcast because I felt this way. And we heard so many other people feel this way too. And like you're saying, like, why would... Would your mind go there? Like, why do you think this is something you have to fix? Yue, did you go through that too?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just so strong. Just thinking about it was like a problem. It was an illness. I need to diagnose myself and figure out how do I take some medicine to fix this illness because people treated me like I was ill when you're single. Mm. Like, are you okay? (laughs) What's wrong with you? When did you first realize you were single? You know, that kind of the way society... You gotta love
0: yourself first, right? Yes.
1: (laughs) Like there is something very depressingly wrong with you. And even in the times I was single and Thriving, I had to second guess myself just because of how society reflected back to me. So this just resonates so much for me. But from your experience, Jenny, were you able to speak to many other singles about their experience? And I guess pretty much everyone's feeling the same way.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was something I was hearing day in day out from clients. I really resonated with their experience, and then I did a lot of research. I read a lot of articles on what positive psychologists say are the is the secret sauce of happiness. What do experts say? How much happier does marriage make us? Like, so many people feel like marriage is the thing that's going to take their mediocre life and push it into like next level of happiness. But I was really surprised to learn that on average, marriage only increases happiness by one percent. And wow, right? So a very very large study found that. And I'm not trying to say anything negative about marriage. I am all for getting married. The goal is just to feel like you have a full, rich life that feels livable and satisfying, even if things aren't going your way in terms of meeting someone on your ideal timeline or ideal way of doing it. I'm really a feminist at heart. I don't think it's fair to feel like someone else is the gatekeeper of your well-being or happiness.
0: So I want to unpack that because the 1% stats, That's really interesting, because I do think and I'm guilty of this, too, that I thought like, okay, when I'm in a relationship, then things will be good. And honestly, it did take me to realizing that it wasn't that till I actually got in a relationship, which is the ironic part of it. But why do people feel this way? Like, why do you think that we have this perception? My guess would be society, media, all that. But is there anything else you've observed more psychologically?
2: I think you're totally right with society and media. And I think there's something very evolutionary about wanting a mate and compatibility and having a partner and especially for people who might want a family to feel like they're on the path to living their, what they envisioned their ideal life to be. And I think there's also just the fact that dating is time consuming. So it's a lot of people like are very animated when they talk to me about how they cannot wait to like not have to take on dating to be able to let go of dating as a part-time job. It really feels draining. And It's one thing to like volunteer after work or do something that feels purposeful and deliberate, but this feels like a means to an end rather than something that is a process to enjoy, which I'm I'm not trying in any way to be so invalidating or optimistic to say that everyone should love dating, but I I just want people to really be able to create some sort of buffer between them and their relationship status so they're kind of coded and their self-worth isn't so tainted by whatever's happening in their love life.
0: So you said that you were on the same you were feeling this. How did you start to get out of this mindset of it? So
2: one of the best things about being a psychologist is that you get to learn so much about evidence-based treatments and what seems to work and what is the path to happiness. And so I really started to do this thing where I was like, at the end of the day, I want to be real. I don't want to not practice what I preach. I want to be the real deal. So I'm going to do the things I teach my clients. I'm really going to work on breaking up with ruminating, which is a really big project to undertake because it's so tempting and so insidious. People don't even realize you're doing it. I talk about this a lot in the book, but I was even doing it, doing things that seem totally <laughs> antithetical to ruminating like while doing yoga. <laughs> so I, I really worked on being mindful, designing a life that was the life that I would want to be living relationship or not, and really focusing on my values. Values are how you show up versus goals, which is what you get. And so I decided, okay, whether I meet someone or not, what is within my hands to make this, my days feel rich with possibility rather than punished or aversive and really started to apply that. And I just have this stance that you shouldn't have to go to graduate school for six years to be a clinical psychologist, to have access to best practices and joy and mental health. What do you think is the root of all this? Yes. Who do we have to blame?
1: What do we have to blame?
2: There's a couple of things that come to mind that have made dating especially draining these days. So I think there's something about dating apps that makes dating almost feel like gaming, where we lose sight that the person that we're communicating with is a person rather than just like an avatar, that this person that we're connecting with it has feelings and is stressed and might have family who's going through a health crisis, have family members going through stuff. So I think a lot of people have let go of their better behavior or Access to empathy, so I think it's especially difficult right now. I just so much, like you said, societally, people are really, really stigmatized being single, and so it's not only like, is it stressful to meet someone, but your friend group might be saying, mm. "Wait, so what's going on with your love life? Like, that's the only thing worthy to focus on." And I think if there's something about rejection that, as human beings, really hits us in the stomach hard. We all, you know, it's really interesting. There's research that even if you're playing like an online game with someone that you're that's a stranger that you don't care about the act of feeling like rejected, like if someone suddenly drops the game or doesn't want to play with you anymore, people in that circumstance actually lose sense of meaning. They have reduced meaning in life in those moments. As human beings, we really want to feel seen and appreciated and savored. And there's something about dating, especially with the tremendous volume of people that are on apps, just quickly swiping through, even just the word swiping and people seems so, I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture. I'm just trying to inspire and motivate people to be even more deliberate in, and how they infuse their moments with self-compassion.
0: I want to double down on rumination, because I think this was something that definitely got in my mind, these thoughts of like, why me? Why is this just happening to me? Why can't anything move on? But then also not even just like your own internal rumination, but what you were saying with now your friends are asking you what's going on. And it seems like your love life is the topic of every conversation. How do we stop this? Like, How do we stop ruminating, but still be purposeful and thoughtful?
2: I love this. So there's so many things to say about this. So the first thing is many of us know that ruminating is not the healthiest habit. Replaying and rewinding the tape and thinking the same thoughts can be really draining, but there's something in the moment that feels so tempting about doing it. We just feel like it's some sort of catharsis or maybe if we keep doing it, we'll get to some sort of answer or if people aren't giving us the information we need about why they didn't get back to us or what happened, we feel like we need to sort of like go through it to get to some sort of answer. But I think one really important step is, this sounds really simple, but it's really powerful, to create a four quadrant pros and cons of like, what are the costs and benefits of ruminating? What are the costs and benefits of accepting uncertainty or self-compassion or letting go? Because in the moment, ruminating feels like itching a scratch. Like It feels like you're going to get some sort of instant release, but long-term, it causes depression, anxiety, self-doubt, lose the joy that you might experience from other activities. Accepting uncertainty is hard in the moment, but longer term, Allows you to enjoy larger moments, so that's one thing. Is having a really clear and handy. Like I don't just want people to write it down once, but take a screenshot and like pick it up and catch yourself doing it, and then take a look at your own handwriting. Be a good friend to yourself and see. I've done this so often. I would estimate that I spent thousands of hours ruminating, and like, what did I get for it besides pain,
0: anxiety? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. And another thing to do, in addition to the pros and cons, is learn how to swap whys with hows. Why is this happening? Or Or why can't I get one good date if my friend met someone that was a good fit on their third time going on an app period and I'm on my 300th? Like why? So instead of swap, why with how? How can I date without feeling burned out? How can I not let my self-worth be so tainted by other people's opinions? Allowing yourself to feel is different than being more cerebral and in your head. So you could make some space for your feelings, add some self-compassion without taking yourself down endless uh, dead ends. Julie, you made such a great point that we don't only do this with ourselves, like we do this with other people and co-rumination, like using your time with a friend to like (laughs) rehash and replay.
0: The text decoding, yes. (laughs) It's such
2: a missed opportunity. Like we do it with each other. It's like a volleyball game that we keep afloat. But if we can like drop the ball and say, oh my gosh, we're onto the we're doing it. Let's give ourselves a break. And as tempting as it seems, we know what this leads to.
1: Well, it's the Misery Loves Company, but when you talk about this, it makes perfect sense. I get there are tools and there are different strategies to get out of rumination, but when you're just about to get into ruminating, it's really hard to stop. I've been down that slippery slope so many times, (laughs) and I feel like there needs to be a snap out of some sort. Do you have any advice or tools that you've used that can help people? It's almost like a jolt before you start slipping into rumination.
2: So have your pros and cons handy as like a refresh reminder. And then in terms of a jolt, so this is very person specific. I really encourage people to think about what are the things that really create a flow state for me? Like what are the things that I can't possibly ruminate while doing? Mm. Is that a crossword puzzle? Is that a book? Is that watching White Lotus? Is that (laughs) listening to certain music? Is that going to a gym class? Is that going for a walk? Like have a list of things that are incompatible with ruminating, doing a gratitude list, whatever it is. Another jolt, jolt is a great word, is I teach an acronym called TIP in my book, which Mm. stands for T is Temperature. So literally taking a bowl of ice water with like equal parts ice and water, so it's pretty cold. If you hold your breath for 30 seconds to 60 seconds and give yourself a little ice bath for your face and just hold your breath and then dip your face in the water, that is a quick way. I mean, it's like jumping into a pool. I'm pretty convinced that you're not going to be thinking about whatever you were thinking about while your face is in the cold water. And when you come out, it's kind of like a quick like (laughs) jolt of control-alt-delete for your body. This isn't just like a weird Jenny Tate's hack. It's related to the dive response. We all have this mammalian dive response when our body goes into cold water. It redirects blood flow from non essential to essential organs. It lowers your heart rate. So the T is the temperature change. I is intense exercise. So you don't have to go to berries or a crazy class to (laughs) do this. If you just do like 10 push ups and 10 mountain climbers, that could kind of quickly change your body chemistry. And then the P is paced breathing or progressive muscle relaxation. So really either slowing down your breathing. So it's inhaling for five counts, exhaling for five counts, or progressive muscle relaxation, tensing and releasing from head to toe. There are quick things that we could do to like invite a competing response from our body. And when our body is really present and relaxed, it's a little easier for our minds to quiet down as well. But I don't want people to think that they have to get ice water. You know what kind of keeps <laughs> you in the present moment and have like a list of what are the things I know are allergic to ruminating
0: What are some other tactics like people can use to I think what you provided is fantastic for stopping the rumination. But also, I think for me, a big part of it was just being hopeful. And then that also allowed me to just enjoy the moment and seeing the good that was with where I was in life what Other tactics do you have for people to get out of this funk of why am I still single and single is a bad thing?
2: Julie, exactly what you're saying. I think building a life worth living right now, not feeling like you are on a plane that's not taking off, but really doing designing a life that feels rich with possibility right here, right now. And I also think it's really important like a lot of people are so kind and so generous and equate somehow that they're only their like loving, affectionate selves in a romantic relationship. And that is such a lack of creativity. I mean, find other ways to Mm -hmm. bring that kind of warmth and positivity forward. And I personally love loving kindness meditation. Mm -hmm. So loving kindness meditation is a very specific practice where you say, you repeat statements of loving kindness that shouldn't feel like lip service, but really should feel like gift giving. The statements of loving kindness include, may I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be safe? May I live with ease? May I be happy? may I be healthy, may I be safe, may I live with ease? And you go through a series of people, someone that naturally evokes those warm feelings, yourself someone you care about that might be having a hard time, a familiar stranger, someone that you see in your office building that you're not especially close to, maybe a difficult person that's not too difficult in all beings. Because I think if we can really practice giving ourselves some of the validation we crave from other yeah. people and really seeing like there's so much more to connection than just one person. I mean, I was totally shocked to read this because I'm a very like, efficient, like I want to just quickly go and go, go. I didn't realize that literally taking the time, people in an experiment where they were Asked to chat it up at Starbucks with the barista to just act like they had all the time in the world and they wanted to become friends with the person helping make their coffee that actually reduces feelings of loneliness and improves feelings of connection. Like, there, mm. and I, I don't want in any way to say that that is a replacement for a partner if that's something that you deeply right. want, but to just realize that you can be friendly and chatty and connected to so much more than one person, especially if that one person hasn't landed in your presence yet.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, UA, like what were some of your turning points? Because I know for me, I think a big part was just spending more time on my own. After like a brutal breakup I had, it was really the first time I took a trip by myself. Like I just felt a lot more happy in my own company. So I wasn't looking for others to fill that void as much. So that I think was a big turning point for me. The other was, you know, when I was back to dating before I met my now partner, I actually found that I was dating less because I wanted to really preserve time for other people in my life like other friends, people that I could connect with and also really trying not just spend the whole time talking about dating and what was going wrong, but how do I just enjoy connecting with this person as I would a romantic partner? And I feel like for me, not having a date on Friday night and having a standing like dinner with my best friend and just hanging out and knowing that I always had that connection to look forward to was such an eye-opening, just change of pace for me because it didn't make dating as much the forefront. It was something that I still fit in because I wanted a partner. But I think for me, it would have been a downward spiral if I went on a date Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and all of those did not go well, opposed to knowing I had those nights that was guaranteed fun and connection.
1: I feel like for so long, being single meant it was your time to prep for a relationship. So you go on dates. It was like the layover to relationships. (laughs) That's your single time. And you're supposed to work on yourself to become a better partner. You're supposed to go through all this personal growth so you can become a better person for your future partner. But I think the time that being single really worked for me was exactly kind of like what you did, Julie, was just being really happy on my own and dating myself. So between my last relationship and my current relationship, I didn't date. I didn't have the anxiety to date, I didn't have the desire to date. I just wanted to enjoy that time. On my own and the people who I did go on dates with it was very intentional it was very much like I want to get to know this person until I don't and I did not see future milestone with this there was just no added pressure to dating because I was just so into being single. So my question all related back to you, Jenny, is again, so much of our single life is around prepping for that next relationship. How do we start just being happy now in being single without <laughs> thinking about prepping for that next milestone and not feeling like, oh, once I'm in a relationship, I'll be happy thinking about I'm going to start being happy
2: now today. This is such a great question. I think it's so aligned with what you and Julie have been saying that there's some- Something about not feeling like this is like something that I have to fix and I have to devote my Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and maybe Sunday nights to <laughs> finding someone. Uh-huh. But really doing the things that you love right now, not feeling like you need to punish yourself or act almost like it's so similar to the advice I would give someone looking for a job. You can still enjoy moments of your day if you haven't found the thing yet. So what would your ideal life look like? And how can you start doing more of that now? So maybe it's prioritizing friendships, maybe it's not feeling like you need to talk talk about your dating life with other people. Maybe it's finally traveling more. I know that's kind of cliché and beyond a lot of people's budgets, but if there's something that you could start to do for yourself that's rewarding right now and also being really thoughtful about not dragging yourself to yet another party or <laughs> night out if you really crave a night in. How would you treat yourself right now if you knew you were going to meet someone and it, you didn't have to all be so pressured and so on your shoulders, but that you could really kind of relax and have faith. Like how would you act if you We're designing your best life right now and had so much faith that things would fall into place. I think
0: a big thing for me was I felt like I needed to like control situations. If someone wasn't texting me in the time frame that I wanted, or they didn't ask me on a third date in the third week of knowing them, I would get this anxiety that, oh my God, things aren't going to plan. Like, how do I get it back on track? And losing that was so instrumental for me. Instead of thinking of it as something I need to fix of just, okay, this person is not on the same page as me. Like, I've done everything I can I'm going to move on to someone that is on the same page as me. I think that shift was really big. Are there any other shifts in mindset that you've seen people have that has helped them come to the other side of enjoying singlehood?
2: What you said is so profound. And that's honestly one of my biggest wishes that people can get from reading this book, How to Be Single and Happy, is that we don't let other people be the appraisers of our worth. It is so unfair for people that don't know us well to decide our value. And so, really coming to a place where we're so full of self compassion and so self aware and so aware of the pain that rejection could take on us to know that I'm enough, I'm wonderful, I don't need to replay and edit conversations I had to try try to improve them. I really want people to have this sense that how can you shower yourself with, of course, I want people to be reflective. And if you you know, showed up late and said something rude, I'd be aware of that. And <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But the unjustified guilt we pile on is really the thing that I want people to work on. And so I think if, if we could really let go of this idea that happiness hinges on coupling, if we could really break up with ruminating, if we could really, really work on designing a life that's rich with possibility now, those are some of the big things that I think will help anyone start to feel like their life is really filled with joy and peace rather than so much uncertainty and up to chance.
0: Before we keep going on this topic, let's take a quick break. This show
1: is sponsored by BetterHelp. When was the last time you felt like your best self? I can tell you for me, it's when I feel like I'm in control of my life and my actions. But sometimes life gets me bogged down. I feel overwhelmed and I can't show up in the way that I want. Working with a therapist has helped me tremendously in taking control of my life and getting me closer to the best version of myself. I meet with my therapist on a weekly basis and I feel so empowered after each session. I used to think therapy was for when times are bad, but I realized it's very similar to healthy eating. Therapy helps to maintain my mental health and is a way of life. you're thinking about giving therapy a try? BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com/dateable today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, that's spelled com slash dateable month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. There are kind of two opposite sides of the spectrum of our listeners sometimes when we do talk about being single and happy is so that we got one side of the spectrum where listeners feel like, listen, I hate being single. I don't like being alone. I'm just not good at it. I love that for everybody else who can really be happy single. I'm just not that person. What do you say to that side of the spectrum?
2: So you, I think some of those people, in my experience, maybe on some level, they have some belief that if they're not miserable single, they're going to be... A little bit too content and might forget to date or not put in the effort. Like some people have positive beliefs about negative emotions. Like if I really hate this, it's going to somehow like make it happen for me. And that's just not what we know to be true. Like the happier you are, actually, the more likely you are to find a relationship, improve your career, have more friends. And for people that don't like being single, look, I get it. I'm not prescribing being single. What I'm prescribing is being strategic. If You can't wish and force and plot out how you're going to find your partner. What do you want to do in this moment? Do you want to stay miserable? Do you want to practice acceptance, which still includes pain? I'm not going to lie to anyone. It can be painful to be single. I'm not denying that. That would be just really dismissive. But do you want it to be pain that's a small fraction of your life? Or do you want it to be like a disgusting sauce that covers your whole experience? And I'm just about being really effective.
0: I think one of the biggest struggles in dating, I think we are so achievement focused in every other part of life, especially with dating apps when it feels like things aren't progressing or we're not making it to that milestone of a relationship. It can be hard to feel like you Want to keep going. It can be very difficult. All we focus on in society are the big milestones, like getting in a relationship, saying, I love you, getting engaged, getting married, having kids. But there's so many like mini milestones. Like I know for myself, I started to rethink that and be like, okay, I'm going to show up authentically as myself tonight. Or if something's bothering me, I'm going to say it. And that was a milestone. How can you start to kind of like see progress in dating, even if it's not as evident as? some of the like key markers we tend to put.
2: I think that's really focusing on your values rather than your goals. So a value is how you show up rather than a goal, which is what you get. So if you really show up like curious rather than judgmental, or mm-hmm. tell someone that you're not feeling it rather than avoid an awkward conversation. So I think really breaking down like what is within my power, really thinking about like what do I want to do to do this in the way that's truest to who I want to be. Okay. So for people who
1: really understand that concept. There is this other opposite side of the spectrum from the people who really hate being single. The people who really love being single. They're like, Jenny, I get it. I read your book. I'm (laughs) so about being single. I love it. I love being single so much that I may love it too much. It's hard for me to allow someone else into my life. I'm almost a little bit afraid to allow someone else into my life because I don't want to ruin what I have going on right now. What would you say to that?
2: first of all, I love that. Congratulations. That's a really big heat. (laughs) And look, I'm all about moving past all or nothing and finding a middle path. If you don't want a relationship right now, I'm not trying to sell you a relationship right now. But if (laughs) a part of you wants a relationship, but also wants a lot of independence and autonomy, maybe there's a way to find that balance. Like, What are the specific fears you have about entering a relationship? And what are ways to potentially reconcile them if there is something that you do want about a relationship? And so I think really I'm all about teaching people to be more flexible and a relationship doesn't have to be that you know you and your partner see each other seven days a week and tell each other everything and text throughout the day some people are in really happy relationships where they see each other once a week and that's fine i'm really interested in what people want long term in their life and if they do want a partnership longer term i would be a little bit curious about what are their concerns about starting to pursue that now just because i'm all about like start living the life that you want in the future now every Everyone needs breaks from time to time and everyone needs different types of relationships
0: that's a really interesting point of like how do you start living the life you want now because on one side i see it what you're saying is you know take advantage do you do all the stuff you want to do but let's say like you really do desire to get married and have kids. We hear this all the time with people. I feel it (laughs) from time to time of just this biological clock. Like, How do you balance the now with the future? Like, How do you live a great life now while setting yourself up for that future?
2: So I include in the book, I'm so grateful. I interviewed one of the leading fertility experts about egg freezing. And I know egg freezing obviously is really expensive and not an easy process. And some people aren't at the ideal window for pursuing that, but I'm, I'm all about thinking about what are the ways you can start to plant the seeds for what you want in the future right now, whether that's thinking about putting some money aside to pursue egg freezing, if that's one of, if your first choice is biological children, considering other paths to parenthood, if that's a very strong passion, whether that's through foster to adoption programs or really becoming a mentor to younger folks. But I think really there's this stance we all have to do between like living in the here and now and also being mindful that life goes so quickly? How do we do things today to be a better friend to ourselves tomorrow?
0: So what I'm gathering for you is maybe not ruminating of like, okay, I want to be doing all this, but what are some actionable steps I have control of current day?
2: Exactly. And that's such a good distinction because I think problem solving is a healthy alternative to ruminating. Like I call it like productive (laughs) worry instead of unproductive worry. Like instead of thinking I should do this, I should do that, I should do that. Right now, can you look into the thing that's on your mind in a strategic problem solving way? Because that's a really powerful thing to give you a sense of freedom that you want things and you can set in motion a path to achieve them and like I don't want to minimize like again like some of these things are extremely expensive and might not work for everyone but to take a step towards the thing that you want in a way that feels fulfilling to you
1: let's focus on that a little bit more because now I'm curious to figure out what is productive and what isn't productive when you're single we're talking about taking action for your future wants and needs that's a productive first step what about this need to have physical relationships or this this physical need, like having hookups and flings? They may feel really good in the moment. Are these productive steps?
2: For this one, I think people really need to take a little time to think about pros and cons. I'm all, I love pros and cons because short term, a hookup might feel really nice, but longer term, it might lead to feeling more lonely, developing feelings for someone that you didn't think you would there's something very understandable about having like a strong physical connection that lends itself to wanting more with someone. And so I think there's so many ways to pursue physical connection that don't necessarily involve hooking up because many of the clients I see don't find that very satisfying for very long. It it depends if, if, you know, if any client said to me, I just needed a good hookup and this guy, you know, person, man or woman was right there and uh, interested in the same thing. That is fantastic. If you're good with it, I'm good with it. I'm so happy but usually people find that it's a false sense of connection and what they're looking for is more and again, my big hope is for people to really see their worth and value. And it can lead to feeling like just a body rather than a full person.
0: I completely agree with you. It's like if people want to do it all for it, but I think we're so afraid of settling, but we end up settling for what we actually want. I know for me, I've been there before that it's like, well, I have someone I feel like I'm getting towards the goal or I am making progress or that validation is there that there's someone but that person is basically exactly what's blocking me from meeting someone that could would be the better fit because you're wrapped up in someone that doesn't want the same things as you and it's so much easier said than done saying like I'll have a friends with benefits I won't get attached but I feel like more times than not at least on this podcast we hear people ultimately getting attached to that person
2: totally and I think it's interesting it's even if you don't really like the person it's easy to feel rejected if the person you send a vulnerable text and then they don't want it at the same time you do or they're not available and then it's like oh my gosh now I'm feeling lousy about someone I don't even care about like <laughs> there are there other ways to feel a sense of physical pleasure without complicating it with people that don't make me feel valued?
1: End of the day, it's all about taking accountability for your actions. And I think sometimes when you're in a hookup, fling situation, you may not have the wherewithal to make a pros and cons list. You may not be able to step back <laughs> and say, hmm, is this productive or not? But I think it is important to acknowledge in that moment This is what I'm getting myself into, and I just need to take accountable for my actions. This may not make me feel good later. This may not lead me too much. I need a reality check. But if it feels good in the moment, at least I can acknowledge that this feels good in the moment. We hear this from so many people who are trying to be like the cool dater, you know, the one that's like, yeah, I can have flings and not have feelings and not be attached. I can hook up with all the people and not be attached because, you know, I can I can train my brain to think that way. Most of us probably should just be more realistic and know that flings and hookups don't always lead to such clean results or endings. It's just like really understanding who you are and how these types of short-term gratification flings can really affect you.
2: Anyway, that's a really nice segue into like the productive and unproductive way to deal with approaching relationships. I think really kind of thinking through so many people put such a premium, understandably, because it's the first thing we see on like attraction. But if we could really map out like what are our top priorities in a relationship, like what are we looking for? Are we looking for someone that makes us feel seen, reliable, is consistent? And where does physical touch kind of line up on there? Because We want to kind of go after the things that are most important. And sometimes in the moment, we misprioritize or put something that's a lower priority in place of a higher one. This is
0: kind of in the same realm, because we're definitely not telling people that are single to be celibate and have no human interaction. (laughs) I don't think that's what anyone's saying. And we acknowledge that dating can be hard. It can kind of we're on us. But we also if our goal eventually is to meet someone, it is kind of a means to an end. I guess my question for you is we've talked about this a lot on the podcast in different ways and how do you start to like maybe have less is more mentality or view each person as just someone new that you're going to meet instead of projecting like the whole future with them on the first date. Is there anything else that you can recommend for people to just make dating more fun? to like remove some of that pressure so you can be happy dating and happy single.
2: I don't want anyone to feel like I'm giving them the advice to be celibate in any way. What I want to do is make, constantly use this refrain with my clients. It's like, you are literally like, you're so amazing. Like the people listening to this, you are so special. You are so amazing. I mean, it would be insane to think that you can go into like, I'm just making this up because I live in LA and this is a hot commodity in LA. But like, can you imagine going into the Rolex store and offering them like a hundred dollars for a $10,000 watch? (laughs) They would laugh in your face and that wouldn't lead to any sort of negotiation. My, thing is not from a stance of deprivation, but a sense of ownership. The people listening, you're so growth oriented. You're so plugged into cool hosts and community. You deserve to pursue what you want and not settle for anything less, which is like pieces of a person that aren't coming together in a way that's ultimately fulfilling. So I I don't want in any way people to think I'm like, oh, hold out for you can't enjoy your life until... No, it's like you're so deserving of so much. How can we help you like get in that headspace of like, I am a diamond Rolex and (laughs) there's no fucking way I'm going to take a $100 for this prize. Yes. So yeah, I think it's
0: more just like with that mentality, then how do you start to enjoy dating when you're going in as the Diamond Rolex?
2: I think having a sense of humor is so key for everything, like to really like be fascinated and interested and curious. And I think a sense of humor to just like be playful. Like, can you imagine like me and this person are so different? It's so funny that we get to like hear from a lot of clients that are going on dates with people that have totally different political views. I mean, one way to deal with that is like rage. And another way to deal with that is like be amused. I think another lens could also be really seeing like the person that you're meeting might be going through stuff and to be like a kind compassionate ear is kind of a gift. So approaching it more with how you can have a mindset of enjoying even if it's not a love connection and also contributing even if it's not. I'm also a very firm believer of like, you matter. How can you end the date if it's not going the way you want it to and you want to reclaim your night? Yeah, Having some sort of game plan to be able to balance both being kind, playful, and respectful of your own needs.
1: When we talk about being single, it's not just about being single and going on dates. You're also working on relational skills and working on relationships with other people in your life. How do you see that kind of impacting your happiness?
2: Relationships matter so much. And I think a lot of times when we're single, we get into headspaces that keep us apart. Like, oh, I can't hang out with these friends anymore because they have a partner and they're too busy. And so a big target that I talk a lot about is really working on the technical term is maladaptive social cognitions, like the thoughts that keep us apart from other people. And so really noticing if we're writing people off because we're in a different place in life or because we haven't properly asserted ourselves around them, just poking into our love life or giving us unsolicited advice. So really not letting your relationship status kind of dictate the rest of your relationships.
0: And I know we've been talking a lot on this interview about how do you enjoy being single until you find that partner? What if you're in a partnership, and you know, it's not the right partnership, but you fear being single again? Like, how do you Mm. talk to someone in that boat?
2: This is so good. This is one of the people that I'm gearing the book towards. I think settling definitely has its pros. There's a sense of predictability, but you're also signing yourself up for less than satisfaction. And there is discomfort with uncertainty, but there's also a lot of possibilities. So again, it's like coming back to this Rolex example of if you're not happy, then that's guaranteed lack of fulfillment. If you are willing to be your own ally and courageous. I'm a big proponent of avoiding avoiding if you see something is not working rather than procrastinating in your own life, which is so the thing that you want to see is can you make space to feel uncomfortable and feel sadness and sit with the uncertainty of is this the right decision and really getting clear on your inner wisdom, like your head and heart combining and knowing that you can, it's possible to be happy and single and that might set you up for more happiness in the future. And I was in that boat. I talk a lot about this in my book, but I was engaged before I met my current partner. And I'll tell you, it was very difficult for me to end the relationship because he was a great guy. And we just had different long-term goals and values. And it took a lot of me practicing the skills that I teach my clients on myself to choose uncertainty over certainty and feel a sense of shame and guilt and have awkward conversations at work. And a lot of the times, the most courageous things we do are some of the wisest things that we do and kind of make us heroes in our own lives.
0: I think that's such a good segue to takeaways. I mean, this conversation's been so great to reframe a lot of this. But what I'm hearing is that there is this power of being single instead of being the victim of being single. This is the time that we have as agents for our own selves and to create the life we want and to find that person that's going to be a good match for us. Like all of that, it's us at the forefront. And I mean, single truly is one person, right? It's you. So instead of thinking it like a problem that we need to solve, how do we embrace this time? And, you know, we've also done episodes. We did one with John Kim, who's also a therapist, that his book, single on purpose. And he talks about like, how do you exercise this even when you're in a relationship? So I feel like this like reframing of what it means to be single. This is something that like all these discussions continuously unravel over time. So thank you, Jenny, for writing this book, for being on here to start that conversation and continue that conversation, because I do think the more we can appreciate the now and what we have instead of what we don't have, like, I think that's a good lesson for all parts of life. Because I know personally, like some of the same struggles I've had when I was single also show up when I'm in a relationship. Maybe they manifest different ways, but some of the ways that I've learned to just be compassionate and get out of that rumination mode, all the things we talked about, like apply now too. It almost doesn't matter what your status is. It's just... That's there, and like, how do you work with it at different phases of life?
1: What a wonderful discussion. I think my biggest takeaway is whether you're single or not, it just shows that life is about a state of being. It's not about the milestones, the milestones. Don't define who we are. And being single is a state of being, is where you are currently, and it's where you're supposed to be. I think for so much of our lives, we're striving for that next thing, that next milestone, the next accomplishment, that next defining moment. But life is so much more than that. And enjoying the process is really most of our life journey. We talk about what's the purpose of life. I think it is these moments of like the process and processing the process, mm-hmm. having this mindset of, okay, my state of being right now is single. What can I do to make the best of this time right now? What is the best I can do for myself right now? And if you're in a relationship, same question goes to you. It's like, all right, I'm in a relationship right now. What is the best <laughs> I can do to make the best of my time right now? That's just like at every moment in our life. And I feel like that just brings so much less societal pressure to where we are. And our identities aren't so much tied to our state of being.
0: And it's not forever. I think that's another key part is that things change all the time. Like You can be single today and not tomorrow. Things can (laughs) really switch fast. And we have this present bias that we think that what is currently in front of us, Like it's hard to see that there could be someone out there tomorrow, or if you're in a relationship, someone better that's suited for you, because that's not what you're seeing presently. But I feel like getting into this state of like, yep, this is today. Maybe tomorrow will be different. I know that helped me a lot.
2: It's funny. A lot of people joked with me when I told them that I wrote this book called How to Be Single and Happy, that my next book should be How to Be Married and Happy. It's, it's really, yeah. there's so much about, yeah. it's like Yue was saying, there's so much more to our lives. Like our relationship status is a sliver of the rest of a full rich life, but the movies and society make it a lot more.
1: So Jenny, you know, our podcast is called Dateable. One last question for you would be, what do you think it means to be dateable
2: and single? Yeah. I think to be dateable and single means to be really present and intentional and showing up for yourself while you are looking for love.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much, Jenny. We loved your book. Where can other people find your book if they want to be single and happy?
2: How to Be Single and Happy is available on all major booksellers. I love the indie ones and Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Jenny Tates. I have a new book on stress coming down the pipeline. Oh, boy. Exciting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you just, you're just you just getting the
1: whole life cycle of relationships. It's like, single and happy, <laughs> stress. <laughs> the next one will be like, how to deal with breakups. So, wonderful. Thank you so much for being on our podcast, Jenny. We're going to wrap this up. Stay did the Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit dateablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable.